Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Good morning. Warm welcome to those of you in the pews and those of you watching virtually today. If you're watching virtually, I switch you to know the people in the pews came despite pretty bad weather outside. So kudos to you. So when he was not yet 18, uh, John Weldon Johnson spent three months in the backwoods of Georgia teaching the children of former slaves. This spark of service drove him toward a vocation in the law, and years later, he graduated from law school and worked on Theodore Roosevelt's presidential campaign. He was later appointed a U.S. consul in Venezuela, and he rose to prominence as a civil rights activist. What makes this story remarkable is that his success was no small achievement for an African-American only a few years after the end of slavery. In the wake of that dark plight on our nation's history, Johnson knew the odds were against him. In fact, when he sat for his bar exam, one of the examiners actually got up and left the room in protest because he did not want to see a black man credentialed as a lawyer. Interestingly enough, we probably know him more for the poetry and songs that he wrote, including that stirring song known as the African-American National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. But Johnson overcame the odds, not necessarily by his own steam alone, for he was keenly aware and connected to the source of his success, which is why he wrote a song about today's lesson from the Old Testament. Dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. Dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. Dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. John Weldon Johnson had seen the desolate valley of dry bones that could have plagued our nation and his brothers and sisters for eons, but he had also witnessed what happened when good people would respond to God's hope for his children and make abolition and eventually freedom a reality. And really, no one would have imagined Johnson could have become the success he would. Only decades before, it would have been quite impossible. There was a concrete wall into which the hopes of countless African Americans crashed. Until, by the will of God, that wall came tumbling down. But Johnson's story, even with its redemptive conclusion, does prompt us to ask a deeper question. Why do we live in such a duplicitous world where evil and good strive side by side? This doesn't just apply to issues and troubles like racism, which is still alive and well, and even slavery, which amazingly in 2023 is still a living reality, not just openly in some places around the world, but in the hidden dark corners of human trafficking, even in our beloved city of Houston. But this question, this dilemma, this troubling reality, if you will, that for some reason the ongoing struggle between darkness and light remains, it applies to so many areas of our lives. Not just what happens in the public square, but in our own personal lives. One of my favorite 
Bible stories is the one about Noah and the ark. But when I read it and I consider our present moment in history, part of me wonders why God doesn't just take all his loved ones, put us in an ark, and wash all the bad guys away. Wash all our troubles away. Why doesn't he protect us round the clock from harm and pain and uncertainty? More than that, why does God allow bad things to come into our lives at all? Bad things we do and bad things that happen to us. This Old Testament lesson is powerful. God captures up the prophet Ezekiel and through a dream or a vision, he transports him into a valley of dry bones, parched and bleached, no longer held together by muscle or tendon, completely dead, completely lifeless. The gospel lesson speaks of death too. Lazarus, good friend of Jesus, a brother of Jesus' follower, Martha gets sick, dies and is placed in a tomb. Why must life have its dry bones? Why do we have to live with cold stone tombs? What do we do when we seem to hit that concrete wall? Why is the wall even there? Why does, why does Jesus insist on pushing back against our, our own human natural tendencies to succeed and to win, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps with words like, the last shall be first. And blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek, who hunger, who are persecuted. And words like, unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it will not live. And, and it is the one who joins Jesus in picking up the cross that really wins the prize of meaning and purpose and eternity. Why doesn't God just give us all of heaven now, today, the things we want? Not too long ago, I was preaching in the family table service. How many of you have not been to the family table service? Raise your hand. Okay, you need to go at least once because there's a lot of children, there's a lot of screaming, there's some crying, you don't know who's going to get bitten uh, if somebody's going to throw up. It's the only service that makes me nervous. I have preached to several presidents of the United States and I was not as nervous as I am every time I step in the family table. So I never know what's going to happen. And a few, I, I guess a few months ago, we got, and we were finishing this, that great moment in the communion service, the gifts of God for the people of God. And I heard a little boy in the back say, can we have our donuts now? <laughs> I mean, maybe you feel that way. Why do we have to go? Why can't we just have heaven now? Why can't we have only good stuff? Richard Rohr is a Christian therapist who writes extensively on the human saga and he confesses his own struggle with mysteries surrounding not only why there are values in life but also how we make our way out of them. And he suggests the real secret is to realize there are times when you just can't do it on your own steam. Despite how wonderful your natural survival instincts are, there's no substitute, he says, for the human experience of hitting a dead end. And so this is what he writes. You cannot know. You can't know that truth just by going to church, reading the scriptures, or listening to someone else talk about it. He says, until you bottom out and come to the limits of your own fuel supply, there's no reason for you to switch to a higher octane fuel. Why would you? 
You will not learn to actively draw upon a larger source until your usual resources are depleted and revealed as wanting. In fact, you will not even know there is a larger source until your own sources and resources fail you. And so he writes, until and unless there is a person, a situation, an event, an idea, a conflict, a relationship that you cannot manage, you will never find the true manager. So he writes, God makes sure that several things will come your way that you cannot manage on your own so you can come to know the true manager. And there you have it, friends. We need to take hold of the reality that some things will not change in our lives without the help of the one who can help. And the only one who can help, Almighty God. Ezekiel, Ezekiel was tired. His people had been beaten, taken away from their homeland, living in Babylonian captivity. With any measure of a future, obliterated. Ezekiel's hope was lost. His prophecies to change seemed to ring hollow. There seemed to be no future, a complete dead end. So God plops Ezekiel down in that valley of dry bones and he says, Now Ezekiel, speak the word of the Lord to them and um, just see what happens. And Ezekiel does. And you know what happens? Those bones those bones, those dry bones, they begin to rattle. They begin to come together and sinew and flesh appear and soon they are multitudes standing tall on their own two feet alive. In the face of absolute desolation, God offers a vision of what can be when all human resources drained of life. And he says, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from those graves, oh my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. He shows us through Ezekiel what will happen when you bring your dry bones to the power of Almighty God. And then the gospel. Oh, Martha, she's grief-stricken. Her beloved brother is dead. She's angry. She's confused. And through tears and no doubt a pointing finger, she spouts out, Lord, if you had been here a few days earlier, my brother, he would be alive. Oh, Martha, Jesus says, do you not know, I, I don't just talk about resurrection. I am the resurrection. Stand back and see. Roll back that stone, Jesus said. No, Jesus, Martha says, he's been, he's been dead for days, too long. There's no hope. If you've been here earlier, but you, you weren't, so there's no hope. In fact, in fact, it stinks in there. Roll it back, Jesus says. Lazarus, come out. And at that, eyes widen, palms begin to sweat, hearts beat faster, jaws drop. 
For at Jesus' word, Lazarus comes out, still wrapped up like a mummy. Unbind him and let him go. Death may have won the battle. Life wins the war. And Jesus shows us what happens when we turn our stone-cold tombs over to him and to the power of God's Spirit. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Just a few weeks ago on our Holy Land pilgrimage, I was in Bethany and not too far from the spot that bears a sign that says, Lazarus' tomb, and then there's an arrow. Now, I suspect a lot of people pass that sign every day and take little notice of it. Perhaps even more think it's, you know, it's just a legend like the other legends we Christians like to tell. But of course, that begs the question, are these just old Bible stories we like to tell when things don't seem to go our way? Or is it truth? We don't get the promotion. We have an art with our spouse. Our tax bill is worse than we thought it would be. Our team didn't make it to the finals. Through his word, God is not speaking to these kinds of trouble. These are day-to-day things that we all face. No, God is speaking to death. God is showing us that when all seems lost, that is with, in his hands, there's actually hope for a new beginning. You may, you may be here today. You may be in a great place. You may be riding high for one reason or another today. And if that's the case, I hope, I hope you give thanks for that and remember the one who gives you those kinds of blessings. But hold on. Because in all likelihood, you will at some point join those of your brothers and sisters in the pews here today who are not where you are. And so to those of you who face your own dead end right now, God is whispering this morning through these lessons, through his spirit, will you hear him? Will you let him have your dry bones, your stone-cold tomb? We might shrink back at the possibility that there may be real hope. Why bother? What's the use? I have tried everything. I have tried everything, and that's the rub, isn't it? I have tried everything. And when there's nothing else you can do, There's nowhere else to turn. It's time to give it to God. You've lectured the kid till you're blue in the face and he keeps getting into trouble. You've tried counseling and begging and pleading and you just got served divorce papers. You put aside the bottle for a few hours, but then the one you hid in the desk drawer grabs your hand as you reach for a piece of gum to cover the smell of last night's binge You think you've given up that grudge, but then you see another article about her success in the newspaper. You thought you'd beat the cancer, but it's back. Desolation. Loss. Utter hopelessness. It may be so dark, so ugly, whatever it is, so hard to come to terms with, you'd rather just leave it alone. 
It's like picking at an old scab. Don't go there, Lord. It, it stinks in there. Just let it be. I'm used to this tomb. I'm used to these dry bones. Leave them alone. They stink. Jesus has a word for that stench, that dead end, that death. Stand back. I am the resurrection. Here, what he is saying to you this day through this scripture, through his spirit, give it to me. Not, not kind of, not halfway. Let it go, all of it. Release it into my complete control. You know, trying to be the master of your own fate means your fate is your master. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. Jesus is supposed to be your master. So God says, if you would but let me, you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from those graves, oh my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Can you imagine if you had been there with Mary and Martha? with the disciples, with the onlookers, with the passers-by. Can you, can you close your eyes and imagine as, as skepticism is skewered, as, as sobs are silenced, as shadows turn to sunshine. Can you imagine what Lazarus felt? Is some, is some part of your life Lazarus? Are you Lazarus? There's only one way into the tomb, death. And there's only one way out, Jesus. I hate to be that blunt, but that's the way it is sometimes. Only God can put flesh and breath into the valley of dry bones, and only Jesus can raise the dead. As wonderful C.S. Lewis reminds us in Mere Christianity, these words, there is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy and power and peace and eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of door prize, which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up from the very center of reality. And if you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you will remain dry. And then he finishes by saying, once a man or woman is united to God, how could he or she not live forever? Well, Lent is coming to a close. We're in the airplane, circling kind of Bush Airport right now. We can see the landing strip called Easter. And Lent can be about, you know, small changes, a pound or two here, a bad habit resisted there, a few more minutes on your knees or in your Bible, but my hunch is that's not going to get you very far. Kind of like ending a long run with a brief sprint. Eventually things go back to the way they were. 
But Lent can be about big changes. Lent can be the season that a death can become a life. And for some of you, perhaps, it is time to give your death to Jesus. Perhaps this very day, this is an opportunity, a moment, not of temporary relief, but eternal transformation. Perhaps by God's grace, you can fall flat on your face before him, dead as the proverbial doornail, and say, here it is, Lord. Here are those bones. Here's that tomb. It is yours. I am yours. And then wait. Wait. For I promise you, in God's way, in God's time, something will stir. And you will hear the scraping of stone against stone as the tomb begins to open. You will hear the rattle of bone against bone as you are being put back together. You will hear your heart beat and take that first yawning breath in a long, long time as if you had just broken the water's surface from a deep, deep dive. And you will hear his word to you, come out, come out. The bindings will fall off like a snake sheds its skin. You will stand tall on your own, but not just your feet. New feet, feet shod with the promise of resurrection. You will walk and not tire. You will run and not get weary. You will fly as on eagle's wings. You will be made new and you will, you will live again. And this is the hope of our faith. This is the message of Easter. It's resurrection, eternal life, life that breathes into us through God's spirit here and carries us past this life into the next. And if you would but give your stone tombs to him and your dry bones to him, you will hear him say, come out and live again. So, let's pray. I invite you to bow your heads and let's pray. And, and for those of you here today who aren't wrestling with a tomb or a pile of dead bones, well, don't forget to give thanks to the one who makes that possible. But for those of you, and there are those of you, and all right now, all you can see are red lights. All you can see is a, is a dead end, a concrete wall. For those of you carrying those bones around, for those of you who feel locked in a tomb, Let it come to the surface and give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. He's trustworthy. Give yourself to Jesus so that you may live again. 
Lord, I pray for those blessed. Give them grateful hearts. And I pray for those here today in need. May they offer you the broken, bruised, and bent places of their life, the dead ends, the painful scars, the tombs. And may they, in offering that to you, hear your spirit speak that good news. Come out. Come out and live again. Live again. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.